welcome to Business for Optimists, a podcast for new ideas, innovation, and disruption. I'm Johanna, your host, and my thing really is asking just why things are done a certain way. Together with my guests, I'm exploring paths on how we can care about people, purpose, and the planet as much as we care about profit as entrepreneurs. Now, let yourself be inspired by those who are shaping the future of business. and welcome back to Business for Optimists. Have you ever wondered how you can safely and happily navigate the digital world? Have you ever felt really, really weird after you've emerged from a two-hour wormhole of YouTube videos or Instagram stories? Then this episode is for you. I'm talking with UX designer Chloe of This Too Shall Grow. She's joining us live from Paris, which is even more exciting. And in her episode, we discuss her own definition of digital wellness, how we can be more intentional about our digital lives, because there's a lot to be done there, and who is ultimately responsible for making sure that we have a relationship with technology that is safe and healthy. This isn't such an easy question to answer, and I'm looking forward to diving deeper into this with Chloe, who has a wealth of experience and recommendations. I also highly recommend that you check out the show notes. We're linking to quite a few resources she's sharing on the podcast, and I hope those will help you to navigate your online life a bit more safer and in a more sane way. Also, a couple of notes before we're starting our conversation. Um, so one thing, this is a podcast uh, uh, with adult language. <laughs> I think this is the first. Um, just make sure, you know, if you have any little ones around um, that you're aware of that. And then we also, during our conversation, moved into privacy and security online. And I also want to make you aware that there's a trigger warning for sexual assault. We have kept the trigger warning in the episode so you will be you will be made aware ahead of when it happens um and i'm also writing down the minutes when the section appears in the show notes so you can be you can be safe there also one more thing we are talking about the iot in our conversation um if you've never heard of that no worries it's the internet of things so devices like your fridge that's being connected to the internet to do awesome services like i don't know order food online or something i'm i'm imagining this like the space age um all right so join me for a really interesting conversation with chloe on how to create business models that could make the digital world better for users and what changes can be made in tech by tech founders as well as by us as individuals to make this a space that's less grating on all of our mental health and a lot more supportive. I think there's still a lot of cool things around social media um, and online platforms and I really enjoy using them for some aspects um, and at the same time there are other things I really don't enjoy like what Instagram or other social media tools can sometimes do to my general well-being and outlook on life um, and if you're anything like me you will really like what we talk about and the resources that Chloe shares so we can all feel a little bit more protected and better online. All right, let's start the episode. Perfect. Well, um, thank you, Chloe, so much for coming on. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. 
And I would love for us to start out with um, the question I ask everyone who comes on, which is how you got into tech or how you got to do what you're doing today. Hi, yeah, thank you, Jana, for having me. Um, so I did a master's in digital business. Mm -hmm. um, and within this master's, I had classes that touched on UX ergonomics, for instance. And I really fell in love with UX when I discovered this field. Um, but because I hadn't studied design at a design school to be a designer, mm -hmm. I thought, oh, okay, I'm, I can't be a designer where, at the moment. So I started working as a web project manager. Um, and I was reading a lot about UX and doing UX on site projects or for friends. Um, and in December 2017, I started working as an independent, as a freelancer. Mm -hmm. um, still as a product manager, but little by little, I took on more UX-oriented jobs. Um, and I was doing online courses on the side. And so little by little, I pivoted towards uh, leaving product management behind and doing only UX. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is so cool. And I love how that... Um, it sounds like you really earned it or you really had to had to be intentional about your path into this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm very grateful I did make the switch because um, when you're just 20-something at any age, but especially when you're just 20-something, it's too early to tell yourself, oh, there's this other job I'm really interested in, but never mind, I will do this other thing my whole life because it's not what I studied. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. It's it's just, when I think when you're in your 20s, there's so much going on in life in general and just sort of the pressure around making a career decision where it's like now until forever. That's kind of crazy. And I, I like, I really like how conversations with you... Um, And, and other people, you know, just in, in our personal lives, I guess, it's really cool um, to talk to people who are doing things differently or who are daring to make a switch. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something I really, um, I'm happy about with tech. It's that you can teach yourself so much and you don't need, you, could, you couldn't just become a lawyer by studying online, <laughs> but within our field, you can anything you want if you manage to um, find the right resources and teach yourself and train yourself and I love that yeah that's that's really great cool thank you for sharing that um, and so your work what what brought me to your work or um, when a mutual friend introduced us what got me really excited is that you do a lot of work around digital wellness can you go a bit into what digital wellness is um, yeah, sure. So it's my, my own put together definition, but to me, digital wellness is about making tech work for you and serving you instead of whoever designed the products that you're using. Um, so it can look different for everyone, um, but it's about being more intentional and mindful of your online life and yeah making sure that it serves you in the best way possible. Mm. And so we could say that right now that's not so much the case? 
Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that as I was thinking about this uh, podcast recording with you. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that most people I know aren't satisfied with their digital lives. Mm -hmm. And the ones who are satisfied are satisfied because they tweaked the settings mm -hmm. and they enforced their, their boundaries and they, um, you know, they spent time crafting uh, a digital ecosystem that worked for them mm -hmm. and not just, uh, and didn't just rely on the default settings of everything. Right. Yeah, so it, it really it really takes being intentional with what we're what we're being served, so to speak, and really crafting it in a way that it serves and supports your life. Yeah, absolutely. And even before we can get intentional with it, we need to be aware of it and aware of um, how it can impact our recognition, our mental health. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think this is the the first step that. Um, yeah, the first step is awareness, and I like to raise awareness about those issues. Mm -hmm. And then the second step is, once we know it, what can we do about it? Right. I like I like that you're doing both things. I looked at your blog, um, and we'll get into this in a moment. Um, Close Blog is an amazing resource for finding support on how to make your life, your digital life, a bit more, well, a bit more helpful <laughs> and less, um, well... <laughs> what's a polite way to say this um a lot better for your mind <laughs> um, um but i wanted to um digress for a moment um because when we talk about digital wellness do you find that that's something that's being discussed enough in tech um it's starting to be more and more discussed, but mm -hmm. no, I don't think it's discussed enough. And um, it's interesting because, for instance, when the social dilemma came out, mm -hmm. uh, the next documentary, um, I think that was a way to show to a wider audience that people who worked in tech now regretted. Mm -hmm. some of what they rolled out to the world and started um, trying to take action to actually improve our digital world. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> right, whether digital wellness is discussed enough? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think so. I think... Um, so th there's a side where some technologists, I guess maybe don't see the full impact of their work, whether we talk about impact on an individual or impact on a community. Mm -hmm. um, and the people who do study those impacts, who carry out um, research on attention, for instance, or on uh, people's self-image, mm -hmm. um, yeah, of all, all the all the little disruptions that we see in our everyday life, um, maybe there's a bridge to build between this scientific field and the the, the researchers who work on that, mm -hmm. um, and who work on on the effect on the effects of tech, and the people who put the tech out there, who design it, and who, yeah, mm. who serve us. Yeah. 
That that sounds great, and I love that you're um, you're stressing the point that really tech is not something that's just fallen from the sky. It's created and made by people. Um, so if it can be created one way, it can likely be created another way. Why why would that not be an option? Um, so what what do you think of all things sort of in this digital realm we're in what what would we need to fix most urgently from the perspective of the work that you're doing um it's difficult to find one most urgent thing mm -hmm. i think but one thing that can have a, a, an important impact um is having different business models. And I'm talking especially about everything that relies on advertising um, because that would allow us to better protect our privacy mm -hmm. and to get out of the attention economy that's trying to make us spend as much time as possible on an app and to come back as much as possible and to get hooked on the app. Right which sort of translates to, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday and we were talking about Instagram and she told me that she's now deleted the app off of her phone because she realized she gets sucked into this vortex and re-emerges an hour later wondering what happened to her life and, and where her time is at. So that's sort of, I guess, a good way of, of what the attention economy does to us, right? Yeah, I think it's a good illustration. Um, of it. Um, what what would um, a better business model look like? That's that's the question. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I wish I had a uh, a more precise answer mm -hmm. to this because I don't really know. I think there's some experimentation to to have on this side. Mm. Because you can have a paid business model that doesn't rely on harvesting your personal data to serve you ads. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't make it, that, that makes the product less accessible. Mm -hmm. um, I like, for instance, the companies that manage to have some sort of a, sort of a freemium model that doesn't rely on ads. Mm -hmm. And so the people who can afford the product or who need it on a larger scale, for instance, if it's a product that's used by both individuals and companies, mm -hmm. um, the people who can afford it uh, bear, the, bear the cost in a way mm -hmm. to make it available to a wider audience. Right. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Do you have any examples in mind or does anything... Do you have an exemplary, you know, rainbows, unicorns, glitter, glittering company that does this in a good way? Um, I think, uh, I think Ghost, the publishing platform, ah, yeah. works. Yeah, that one. Um, I think that Whereby, the video call tool, also works that way. Mm -hmm. um, Notion probably does. Mm -hmm. I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. That that sounds really great because I I sometimes feel when when we talk about 
I also watched The Social Dilemma and it left quite a big mark on um, how I feel around, you know, social media and everything. But when we talk about it, you know, there are emerging nations where Facebook essentially is the internet to people. So it's not such an easy or straightforward conversation to have, I feel, sometimes to just say, oh, Facebook's bad. And it, it is in many, many ways. Um, but then there are people who really rely on it to connect with the world, and there's not an alternative. Absolutely, yeah. And then it also has its own dangers because then you... Um, information is controlled more easily if mm -hmm. Facebook is your only portal. Um, yeah. It's it's such huge stakes with all of that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. For sure. Do you, is there anyone um, from, you know, sort of your professional view, because you are a UX designer, um, and you work in the digital space, who's responsible for maybe making better decisions? Or who do you think has has the agency to, to make things better? Is it founders? Is it VCs? Is it uh, programmers? Is it the UX designers, product managers? Um, I would say all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, everyone. <laughs> because... Everyone has their own role to play, and if you're, um, say, you're the QA engineer on the team, maybe you're not yourself making the product, but you can raise attention to mm -hmm. some issue, and you can get people on board and just, um, yeah, put, put the focus on what's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so more broadly speaking, to me, the responsibility relies on technologists. Um, and so they're the ones that have, they're the, they're the ones who have the most power to make better decisions and who have the most leverage on our um, digital ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, as end users in a way, as people using digital tools, we can also have power over that. Mm -hmm. We can also, you know, decide what tools we're going to use or not and how we're going to, um, how we're going to set them up, what kind of notifications we want to receive or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, we also have leverage on that. It's just, um, it's just more limited. Mm -hmm. Right. Can you talk a bit more about the power that we have as individuals or how do we um, how do we set this up in the way that we're best protected or that we're best protecting our minds? Oh, that's such a wide question. I like that. I think one thing to to figure out is what we want out of our digital life. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I guess it starts with assessing how it currently is. Right? Is it currently? Are we, am I currently spending too much time on Twitter uh, compared to what I would want? Um, 
am I feeling completely overwhelmed by the amount of newsletters I'm receiving? Mm-hmm. Um, do I have news anxiety? Things like that. So first assessing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then crafting our own digital ecosystem and the one that works best for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only, there's only um, so much that we do have an impact on. For instance, I can decide to install this app or not, mm-hmm. but I can't decide, I, I can't have that much impact on um, the way my data is being used. Right. Or anything that has to do with surveillance technology, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like you you said something that really stood out to me just now, which is um at the beginning when you answered the question, which is we we need to also figure out how we or what our digital lives, what we want from them or how we want them to look like. And I feel like that's not a conversation or you know, growing up as, as I feel like we're both millennials, right? (laughs) We had, when we entered into this, into this digital sphere, when Facebook came around and everything, it was exciting and new, but I certainly don't remember there was ever a moment, um, until I would say more recently when I looked at tech and I was like, wait, wait a second, like how, how, what role do I want this to have in my life? What, what does it look like when I feel good or what are the parameters that I, I want to set for myself? Not that I've figured it out, but even just coming into the awareness of that is a, is for me is a, a fairly recent development. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the importance of informed consent, right? Mm-hmm. So for instance, if we use a product that's gonna, um, use mechanics to, make us spend as much time as possible on it. Mm-hmm. Are we being informed that this product is indeed doing that and it's, or one of its goals is to maximize our time spent there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a misalignment of incentives between our own digital wellness and the goals of the products and the people who work on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as, yes, absolutely. And there's the the book um, Hooked just came to my mind. Um, <laughs> very interesting read on this. Um, also not a thesis I particularly support. Um, <laughs> and it's it's really, when you just, what, what you just said is when you have, there's this sort of um, disbalance between our leverage as a consumer or as an individual and then the, the leverage a, a corporation has and when they use those methods and mechanics where pretty much there's a little we can do um, but ultimately it feels sometimes I feel quite powerless as a consumer to be honest yeah it's I, I, I feel the same way at times and um, I guess it's also a matter of mental health to balance our own awareness of everything that everything that's wrong in a way mm-hmm. everything that we want we want to be better um, and also accept that our leverage is limited and 
even if we do a little bit, that's fine, but there's only so much we can do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think for, for our inner peace, that's a, a really, a really good way of looking at it, recognizing also, recognizing that there's quite a bit we can do, or there's some things at least, and then also, I guess, um, making our peace with the fact that individually we can't make a big change, but maybe collectively. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think we also have a tendency to look too much at the work that's left for us to do mm -hmm. and not take enough time looking at what we've already done, whether it's on a collective scale or on our own individual scale. Mm -hmm. uh, something like disabling notifications. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't notice it day to day because they're disabled. Mm -hmm. So we don't notice that they're disabled, but just taking the time to reflect on all the little things, all the little things that we did do to improve our digital wellness. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Do you, okay. Do you think there's something um, on the collective level we've done yet that needs, that needs some celebration right now? That's a good question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is is the awareness of the general public. Mm -hmm. um, my impression of it is that most people, at least here um, in Europe, are aware that that, for instance, Facebook is um, using their personal data to put better serve them ads and are aware that it's some sort of manipulation, tale of manipulation. Mm -hmm. um, but then a lot of people are also, I think, comfortable with it because there's a... Um, the, conv the convenience of having Facebook and using Facebook uh, balances out with uh, <laughs> the detrimental aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I hear you on that. It's it's very, it's very easy to get used to all of those tools, and then you realize, oh wait, <laughs> this isn't going well. But then, extracting yourself from it and and giving up some of that convenience that you just described is not so. It's not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking, for instance, um, people who use uh, voice assistants at home, um, are they all aware that all of their conversations uh, can be, you know, stored and listened to? Mm -hmm. um, are they aware that uh, the, the company... Um, the company who makes this product potentially has their, you know, vocal signature, mm -hmm. which is a very powerful uh, identifier. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, you're bringing you're bringing up something that I feel like is definitely not talked about enough. Um, and have you have you um, read the book Surveillance Capitalism, or have you looked into it? Uh, no, no. There's um. I've just started it, and she, um, the author Sh Shoshana Zuboff, um, 
has its it's a tome, it's a massive thing. We don't it's like oh, wow. <laughs> it's a brick. Um and she she goes into um this this connection between sort of um the the surveillance, the theoretical and practical surveillance capabilities that a lot of this technology has and how it merges with the, the capitalist system at at the present and what you were just saying around or on those audio listening capabilities is really to me it's mind-blowing can you imagine that you have a tool in your living room that theoretically can can listen to all of your conversations and identify you i to me that's i don't know mind-blowing yeah that's why i try to talk to people about alternative solutions so for instance you have artificial uh um sorry virtual virtual assistants Mm -hmm. um who don't work that way and who work without connection to the internet so uh language recognition is done locally Mm -hmm. all of your data is stored locally Mm -hmm. and um to me that's a much better alternative for someone who would really want a virtual assistant but Mm -hmm. want to do it in a mindful way you know in the way where they protect their their data Mm -hmm. that's really cool Uh, so any any founder listening (laughs) go for it um if i'm because you're you're giving you're, you're giving so much valuable advice and you're sharing so much valuable input here um so let's say hypothetically i'm yes <laughs> i'm a founder of a startup um and i'm you know producing an mvp or a digital product or i'm i want to have i want to have a startup in the digital space um what would i need to do um to make the experience of of my product a bit better for my customers mental health is is there any type of like do this definitely don't that um baseline that that you can share is is that more nuanced too um i think the wider scope thing is to take the time to assess the potential consequences of your product Mm-hmm. both the positive and negative ones mm-hmm. um, and obviously what I'm saying is very binary right now but looking at the, the entire spectrum of your consequences um, take the time to assess that and also do proper user research ask people who use the product um, you know <laughs> and yeah um, that would be that could be interesting to do Uh, And then something else that I'm thinking is that I think it's a pretty specific approach if your product is a social platform Mm -hmm. uh, compared to a platform where you don't have any interaction between users. Um, I guess one important point is to have good defaults Mm -hmm. so that, you know, the default settings that everyone uses um, don't do any harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond having good defaults, I guess the next step is giving users power, giving them ability to uh, customize the product, to change their settings in the way that best 
serves him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Just as you're describing it, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the apps I have on my phone and where the setting is either shit or shit um, or shit or less shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but still definitely not ideal. <laughs> I guess I guess this makes it a, an adult language podcast now. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I the way you're describing it, it sounds it would be so much better and so much nicer to have a little bit more control over what these things are doing on our devices for sure. Um, I want to ask something else because you brought up user research, and when we talk about the tech ecosystem, there's diversity is a topic that sort of you know, front, left, right, center, everywhere. Um, I think also justified, justifiedly so. Um, do you think that, well, that having more, di or having a lack of diversity in, in the founding teams also leads to technology not being maybe well-researched or being a bit, you know, just catering to one sort of slice of society? Um, I think it can, yeah, for sure. Um, even though I guess you could also have a diverse team and um, overlook some aspects because, you know, right? It it's never perfect, right? Yeah, one that comes to mind is um, there was I think a VC a year ago or so, or so who shared on Twitter some slides from um, a company they were talking with mm -hmm. um, and the company was all around making this i think iot device mm -hmm. that could monitor um, whether women were having an orgasm or not and their whole pitch was around the fact that <laughs> women can fake it and so um yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> so I can, if you, if it's okay, if you want, I can take two minutes to find it. I can very easily find it, but it was all around. Uh, we wanted our heart rate and things like that to make sure that, you know, to know if, if women are faking or not. <laughs> you, you can't, this is, this is an audio podcast, but you can assume our, our, at least my face is sort of between disbelief and just giggling because it sounds so absurd that, you know, that would be, that would be an, well... I could see that some people feel the need to want to verify, but that could also be explored through conversation, I would suppose. <laughs> um, but then also when I think about the capital that's being deployed and, and sort of the mind power and the resources that could be directed to maybe things that are a little more pressing societally, even though, you know, I guess it's great to improve everyone's sex lives but again that can also be done through conversation <laughs> so oh my goodness <laughs> yeah it, it's um it's a bit sad when you have a team like that and you you wonder do you, have any of you talked about this with the women <laughs> just, just for starters because um yeah it's yeah yeah, yeah. Do, do you know by any chance whether they got funding I don't think so. The the person who was sharing it was really saying it in terms of, don't do that. <laughs> Good. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember another one, but it was just, I think, a design project between two students. Mm -hmm. So not an actual company yet. Um, and so, yeah, trigger warning, because I'm, I'm going to mention rape, but um, they had designed some, some screens around creating a contract between two people mm -hmm. with all sorts of specifics, what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Mm -hmm. And then both people were supposed to sign it. Mm -hmm. And that was presented as a way to avoid rape because um, <laughs> it was agreed upon by the partners. Mm. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, like the, the, as if you needed some legal basis. And then one, once that's there, rape can happen. Wow. Wow, that is... That, yeah, yeah, that never went anywhere. And I remember that a few days later, those tweets were deleted. And I hope the people who worked on it understood why. That's the most important part. Um, right. But yeah, it, it kind of... Yeah, I just, I just want to tell people, like, talk to women. <laughs> talk to people around you who don't have the exact same uh, life experiences as you do and just like exchange with them and understand them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, WTF to be honest, but um, yeah, I think, yes, what you're saying is, is would be so valuable in so many ways. Just talk to people. I mean, who, who are also willing to talk to you about it, um, who have different life experiences and who can, who can give you input on, creating products that are not like the ones we just talked about wow yeah Ooh. <laughs> i'm speechless and that happens very rarely <laughs> um okay let's let's maybe shift our attention a little bit on what we can do as users because i i mentioned in the beginning that you have a lot of cool content on your website that we can also link to in the show notes for sure um and you have a couple of articles or things i want to talk with you about um and one of them is you have um a post on mindful ux design and I think the implications of that in real life. So let's go back to the mental health conversation a little bit. So how do I, as a user, how can I actively, how can I say, look, I don't like what's happening and I know I can't change everything, but what are the things that, you know, I can do to make things better for me? I think one, one easy way to start is to kind of set the boundaries that you want to set, if you want to set any. Um, so that means assessing which tools you want to use, um, how much you want to allow these tools um, to be able to grab your attention. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of notifications do you want? How interrupting do you want them to be? Um, is it relevant to block? the notifications from an entire app or just some people within the app or some types of notification. Um, that's, that's, I think, a, a way that everyone can, something that everyone can start with. And um, 
what I really like is when people really turn everything off and then re-enable what's relevant for them. Mm-hmm. Instead of starting with the default settings and just disabling things as they come. Mm-hmm. Because I find it much more intentional and it's really tailored to their use, mm-hmm. their needs. Um, yeah. Another thing is to be mindful of your own mental health and mental state and cognition. So if you find yourself feeling too anxious, maybe it's best to curate your news feeds differently to mute some words or to block some accounts or to um, use the digital well-being features to make sure that you don't spend too long uh, on an app. Um, yeah, that, that's another way. Um, to look at it Mm -hmm. and yeah so something else is um visual overwhelm Mm. uh, which i think isn't often noticed but it's when you're overwhelmed by the visual stimuli that you have it you know it impacts your cognitive load and it's just too much and Mm -hmm. the same way that you wouldn't want to live in an apartment that that's overcrowded with items everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also don't want your devices to look like that. So mm-hmm. making room, um, just tidying it, tidying it up, you know, and um, maybe that means that you're going to favor some website over another one because it's um, more peaceful to browse mm-hmm. uh, or you're going to remove all the icons from your home screen so that you only have your wallpaper and that's all you see. And then from then you can intentionally look for the apps that you want. Mm -hmm. And it also just makes it easier to find what you're looking for when you're not (laughs) overwhelmed by a sea of of different apps and tools. Mm -hmm. Cool. I love that. So to recap, people, (laughs) one. (laughs) (laughs) shut off or basically set your phone to the default to disable everything and then slowly begin reintroducing your notifications or whatever you need back into your life as you need them and before that even think about what you want out of your digital life yeah Yeah, absolutely and then yeah i love that you brought up the visual stimuli because it's something i totally agree with you i don't think it's something we talk about enough um, because when you think about sort of images and, and just visual things in general, we've not had, I guess, up until the 90s. I mean, we I think we were in a, in a world that was not as visually saturated in many ways. And now ever since Instagram and, and social media and digital photography and, I don't know, just design capabilities in general have gotten a lot better I feel like there's images and videos everywhere and there's emojis and there's all this stuff and in a way it's it's nice how pretty things sometimes look to sort of (laughs) boil that down a little bit but at the same time sometimes it feels like you're only you're being bombarded with imagery of any any type and and it's, it's like sometimes it feels like my brain is short circuiting from all the images it's seeing yeah, absolutely. I think it's both mm-hmm. It's both a visual overwhelm and a content overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
it's interesting to mindfully try to make room for, you know, <clears throat> some empty space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for instance, <clears throat> I did just, just um, earlier this month, I did a little experiment with emojis. I saw that I... on Twitter. So glad you're bringing yeah. it up. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I thought, okay, for two weeks, I'm not going to use any emoji and see how it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really interesting. At first, I was worried I wasn't conveying my, whether the content of my messages or uh, my mood or things like that well enough. So that forced me to use words, additional words that I wouldn't have used if I had just used an emoji, which then forced me to um, better look at what I was trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I think I now I'm only now starting to reintroduce them little by little. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think I, I, I'm now over this impression that if I don't depict a smile with an emoji it's still clear that i'm not mad at the person <laughs> that i'm writing to <laughs> um, yeah yeah i think it, w- whether it's with emojis or your apps or your notifications or the i don't know how many newsletters you're you subscribe to i think it's great every now and then to start from a blank slate and then rebuild mm. For sure. Except for your newsletter. <laughs> that one you can't delete. <laughs> and mine, uh-huh. neither. Same with mine. But um, the I, I want to ask you a bit more about the emoji experiment. Because that is, when when I read that tweet, I instantly um, looked, you know, it, it, it instantly made me reflect. And I realized just how many emojis I was using in my daily communication. And as you were saying now, that sometimes we replace emojis or you had to use more words to convey the same um, type, same sense of nuance that you would use an emoji for. Um, has it, was it challenging in the beginning to do that or to sort of wean, to, to train your mind back to not using emojis? Yeah. Both in the sense of losing, simply losing the habit to use them in messages. So mm-hmm. in the first few days, I had to edit them out of my messages because I would forget that I was doing the experiment mm-hmm. at times. Um, and it was also challenging in the sense of, um, yeah, getting over the feeling that I'm not conveying everything well enough. Mm-hmm. Um, because when there's such a natural part of your everyday written language, Mm-hmm. They become words, you know, or I want to say language items in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually funny because once I was done with the experiment, I told some of my friends and one of them told me, oh, I was wondering what was up with you. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He said he, he was wondering why I wasn't using any emoji. <laughs> So, so I guess people notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I should have asked him how he how he felt about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that would be so interesting that that it, it at this point we're so used to having emojis or communicating a certain way when there's sort of a, a break in the pattern that you would or your environment would instantly notice or someone would would be able to point that out. I find that absolutely yeah. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention something that's really interesting. I remember a study that was done on the interpretation of emojis. Mm-hmm. So one part of it is that um, for one emoji, you have several, you have different versions of one same emoji, whether you're on WhatsApp, whether you're on Twitter, Telegram, depending on the OS of your device. Mm-hmm. So that already leaves room for different interpretations. Um, and then even beyond that, for, for the same version of the same emoji, you can also have different input interpretations. Um, and there's been research on that where an emoji was shown to different people and they were, they were interpreting, um, they were saying, what, what does this, what this emoji conveyed for them? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, the, the, it just, it just highlighted the fact that it's not a universal meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone has their own interpretation and so there is a limit to relying on them because you think it has this meaning but um, you're not entirely sure how it's going to come across Mm -hmm. Hmm. yeah I love that you just shared that because there's I mean (laughs) I can imagine many contexts where that applies but even just I could see cultural nuances and maybe between generations or sort of what your context the context that you're moving in how that makes a difference and you it I guess it's very tempting to assign this icon or this image value in a sense that we assume that everyone because it's an image it's the same for everyone and because it's a laughing emoji it's the same for everyone but well now we know that gen z thinks we're (laughs) we're just really boring (laughs) (laughs) for using the laughing emoji um yeah it's it's sort of subculture i guess because um if say um your aunt or uncle sends you a message and they're cooking and then they send you an aubergine and peach yeah. emoji. It's not going to be the same meaning. <laughs> I thought about that one earlier. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's just that. the obvious one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it's like that for many, many of them. Yeah. Um, and in that case, we're aware of it. We're aware that we shouldn't interpret them the same way. Mm-hmm. But there are so many cases that I'm sure, um, we, we were not thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's one more thing I would love to talk to you um, about, um, and we touched upon this a little bit in the beginning or sort of early in our conversation, which is tools being able to listen in on you um, and security being a concern. And you have a really cool blog post on your site um, with online security tools for beginners why um to all the people who say well whatever i have nothing to hide and if facebook wants to know everything about me who cares (laughs) why why would i want to protect my security online um 
I love that you're asking this question. <laughs> um, I think that I have nothing to hide for me sounds like someone who would leave the apartment to, to go for groceries and they would just leave their door open. That, that's what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. um, because I guess it's not as obvious uh, the ways in which your own security is important. Um, um, I think I want to I wanna make the distinction between security and privacy because security is about making sure that your information doesn't get into the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, you have uh, people who are going to want to extort money from you. If I think about ransomware, for instance, mm -hmm. where it's a scenario where if you want to um, get your information back or if you don't want your information publicly published on the internet, um, you need to pay a ransom. Oh. So let's say someone hacks into your device and they don't let you, let you access anything until you wire them, I don't know how much in Bitcoin. That's a thing? Yeah, that's very much a thing. Wow. Um, you also have, um, you also want to be able to recognize phishing as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So when, for instance, you have uh, an email from uh, from a bank saying, oh, you need to do this within the next 24 hours, mm -hmm. uh, make sure it's actually from the bank mm -hmm. <laughs> and not from someone who's just trying to get your bank credentials. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, phishing is one. Um, making sure your email wasn't leaked in a data breach because um, if it if it was, it's way easier to get into any of your accounts. And if it is leaked, you need to change your passwords, please, mm -hmm. <laughs> for your own good. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, security. Um, I guess I see security more in the way of um, protecting your information and knowing that. Um, it's not going to be used, it, you're not going to lose it, and it's not going to be used to blackmail you. Mm -hmm. in, a, in any profession, you're always going to have um, yeah, people who are going to try to leverage their skills mm. <laughs> again, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, sorry, that's not very well explained. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I think it, it illustrates sort of what why it is important that we you know, again, coming back to the people who say, ah, you know, whatever, what can go wrong? It's all online. It's not even real. Um, well, it is. And it can, it can become real very, very quickly. Um, is there an, an, are there easy hacks that people sometimes miss? Like I often see, and I have them myself, these little things you can, um, put on your camera so you can open and close the camera. Is that a good one? Or are there any, yeah. any hacks like that where it's really, it, it doesn't take, it doesn't take you an hour or two to implement them where, you know, some, cause I feel sometimes when we're talking about tech, um, and, and making these changes, I think people feel a bit overwhelmed or like, oh, I'm not a tech person. Like I can't do that. Um, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the camera cover is a great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing, you can have a confidentiality filter, which is, um, again, a physical filter that you put um, on top of your laptop screen. Mm-hmm. And that means that people next to you don't see your screen, but you, you see it well and you can you can use it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I like talking about physical fixes because anything that's connecting connected to the internet can be hacked mm-hmm. and um, that also means maybe don't use IOT for everything mm-hmm. you don't need to <laughs> connect your fridge or your lights or what happens when when the company servers go down you can't uh, your fridge just sh- shuts down and mm-hmm. and yeah it's the end of it or you need to upgrade your software otherwise uh your lights won't turn on anymore you know <laughs> yeah not everything needs to be connected to the internet mm-hmm. uh, yeah uh, other than that i guess the very simple thing that kind of doesn't require um deep knowledge of it is to just do an online search mm-hmm. is this product safe mm-hmm. uh, how is it in terms of security uh, look for end-to-end and end-to-end encrypted tools as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the business model of the products that you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and looking at so security is an important one, but I would also kind of want to make a parallel with privacy, which is more about who has what information on you mm-hmm. um, because anything that's shared online there's no take back mm-hmm. i don't know if you will realize that but once it's out there it's stored on whoever's servers there's mm-hmm. no take back you can't delete it i mean <laughs> theoretically you can. Mm-hmm. um but yeah you never know that for sure and so um yeah, you, you kind of want to be mindful of what type of information you put out there, uh, whether you give it to a company or a government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to, and it's also, it's also with um, not just companies and governments, but also individuals. So for instance, you don't want to be stalked online. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to be impersonated and have someone create a fake profile of you mm-hmm. you don't want to have deep fakes with your image um mm-hmm. yeah so it's kind of about controlling your image controlling how much of your identity is out there mm-hmm. um, and because you you never know how it can be used against you mm-hmm. i'm not trying to scare people and mm-hmm. um, I just think that it's something that we're vaguely aware of, but maybe we don't take that much into account. And uh, if nothing bad happens, that's great. Mm. Uh, but you can never be sure of that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm I, actually grateful that you're sharing all of this because it, it's really valuable information and it's very important um, to have that awareness. and. There is, I feel like there's this 
perception around the internet that or sometimes social media or whatever that it's not that real for some people it's just eh, it's just facebook it's just twitter you know it's just my blog and in a way um i think there's value in also not over i think there's value in not scaring ourselves too much but you you mentioned one question that i think is and i'll I'll use that question more for myself too, certainly from now on, which is, would I be comfortable with the thought or am I comfortable with the thought that whatever I'm putting out there, whatever post, whatever tweet, whatever information, if this wasn't ever deleted again, or if someone 15 years from now finds it and and that's out there, because that is, I think like that's a good internal filter on, on how to move forward. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it can be useful. Um, yeah, I, I'm thinking, for instance, when you were talking about if I'm a founder and I have this this MVP product, mm-hmm. um, what's important? What what should I make sure that I do well? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, you know, there are, for instance, features. Uh, on your phone where you can hide certain apps or things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, for instance, of people who, whose um, either their, their identity or their job um, means that they need to take additional steps. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, people who are part of the LGBTQ community and who travel to countries where it's illegal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, if your app is a dating app, mm-hmm. um, maybe you want to make sure that people can uh, hide certain information, or maybe it's just best to for them to uninstall it and reinstall it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, or for instance, people who are activists or journalists and work on very, very sensitive issues, mm-hmm. um, they're going to want to use very secure communication, mm-hmm. um, very secure um, storage, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and all of that. Yeah. Do you have uh, examples for what would be very secure communication or storage? Um, I think end-to-end encryption is a good way to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have interesting features, for instance, I think within both Telegram and Signal, where you can um, set a self-destruct timer for a message. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't need that in our daily lives, but some <laughs> do. So it's good to know that it's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's what comes to mind. I know that, for instance, Proton Tech, the, the company that does Proton Mail and mm-hmm. Proton VPN. Um, they talk a lot about how uh, their um, their emailing their mailing service. I can call it. That. They talk. They talk a lot about how Proton Mail helps um, activists and journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and how how you know Proton VPN is also really I think designed in a way that's convenient for these people. For instance, there's a feature where um, you can't 
connect to the internet if the VPN is not activated. Oh. So you're sure to always be behind your VPN. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure whether it's a very common feature in all VPNs. Mm. Um, but I know Protontech is, is pretty involved in all of that, yeah. Mm. Cool. Again, so helpful. Um, I want, because we are, I think our conversation now just took a pretty serious turn um, towards the end. And there's there's one thing I always like to ask my guests as well, which is, you know, when we talk about, I guess, innovation and, and you shared in the beginning how you made your way into doing what you're doing now, which wasn't a straightforward path, you know, um, as it's sometimes presented to us that you leave school and then you just have it all figured out and that's the thing you do and that's it um and i find we're often confronted with this thing where people tell you like oh never is that gonna work out or you know when pigs fly (laughs) x y and z is gonna happen um do you have a moment in your career or in your work or you know sort of that realm of your life when when you made a never is this possible moment happen um I don't think I have any big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that I really like is each time I have a designer who tells me, oh, your article was useful, or yes, that's great. I'm going to use that at my company in my design process. Mm. I, yeah, I just feel like I'm helping. So that's great. Cool. Uh, and I hope, I hope uh, it makes a change mm. in a way. I um, love that. Yeah. Um, I guess another thing uh, I often see, for instance, people talking about user research in a way where we um, we're demanding a lot from user research participants. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few months ago, I was carrying out user research, and I had this. Uh, so it was a 60 minute user interview mm-hmm. and then half an hour of user ro- workshop um, with a lot of personal questions about uh, the participants daily lives, um, her habits, her household, uh, her mm-hmm. digital life. It was it was pretty personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was yeah this hour and a half where we really dig deep mm-hmm. uh, into her life. Um, and she kept her camera off and within the first few minutes of the interview, she says, oh, by the way, I don't like talking about my personal life. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And I remember that I kept telling her, um, I'm going to ask you my questions because I have them, but you're not obligated to answer any of them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel comfortable, please don't force yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at each question, I kept repeating that, saying, I have this question, but mm-hmm. if you're not comfortable saying it, it's fine, and we move on to the next. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying that, and um, after a while, she said that she felt really safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was really happy for that. And um, yeah, I guess it's kind of a point about um, the importance of making people feel comfortable and not putting 
um, the insights that you want to gather from user research above their own feeling of safety and comfort. Mm. That's really nice. I really, I really like hearing that. Thank you for sharing that story, because it. Um, I think it it brings us back to that text still is for people. People use it, and even how you get the data, it doesn't mean that you have to, I don't know, squeeze it out of people just to get it. Um, so that's really awesome. Chloe, where, where can the listeners to this podcast, where can they find you best on the internet, and how can they best connect to you? Um... I guess the, the, the most interesting uh, thing I have out there is probably my site, mm -hmm. uh, which is thistushallgrow.com. Mm -hmm. um, I publish articles there, and I also send a newsletter that you can subscribe to on the site. Um, it's, it's a awesome. newsletter called Digital <laughs> Sorry? I just said, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's called Digital Wellness, but I, I talk about digital wellness and I also talk about how to design for digital wellness. Mm -hmm. And I say, send it twice a month. Um, yeah, and otherwise, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Mm -hmm. If people want to find me there, I'm, um, yeah, Chloe S. Mm -hmm. um, and that's it. And we'll we'll make sure to put all of that in the show notes too. So if people are don't have a pen handy or don't have their Twitter around, that they can connect to you in those ways. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. <laughs> this uh, infant of a show. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. I feel like there's a whole wealth of experience and tips and things that you shared on how we can do how we can do better as people in tech for entrepreneurs and how we can do better as individuals how we can really navigate our relationship with the digital tools that we have and i hope that many many people will be inspired by what you shared and evaluate what's going on with their devices and, and how they use them thank, thank you, you so much so much <laughs> I'm still in the process of changing my online routine a little bit. I've switched my personal communication to Telegram and Signal in some parts. And so far, I've been really liking the experience. Um, and I hope there were a lot of things that you were able to take away from this episode as well. I really think Chloe shared a wealth of experience and insights. And overall, I found our conversation really refreshing to get a, a different view on just how the internet works. I know this is really simplistic, but I, I still am endlessly fascinated by this topic and just how digital products are created. And really, when you think about it, these are none of these products fall from the sky. They're man-made or woman-made, people-made. And there are people who are making active decisions for some of these things to look and be and feel a certain way. So why can't we have them be different, right? Um, this is not a, this is not monolithic and this is something that i i think one of the core takeaways i had from my conversation with clue um let me know what you thought about the episode let me know what you learned also let me know if you want me to talk to someone or quote unquote interview somebody 
for the show. I would love to hear from you. You can connect with me on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm putting the links in the show notes as well. And of course, you can sign up for my newsletter. I would love to have you on my mailing list. Um, I really like writing my newsletter whenever I have time for it. It feels like a much more personal way to connect than just posting on social media and being like, hey, this is what I did. This is what I think. Here, take a bite-sized bit of information and see what you'll do with it. I like I like writing a newsletter much more than that, even though sometimes tweeting is a lot of fun too. I'll admit it. Um, yeah, and I think that's it for today. And looking forward to having you back next week. Oh, and I can <laughs> we can also turn this into a, a sponsor sponsorship message. So I'm the sponsor of this podcast. I'm producing this. I'm very fortunate that I have an editor and uh, a sound editor helping me with this, who I'm really grateful for, for their support, because I just couldn't do this as well by myself. And um, I'm doing this for fun. Um, and at the same time, I'm a coach, I'm a researcher, I'm really about empowering founders to choose or to find their own, their genuinely own and authentic path in business. So that means for some people, I think venture capital is a good option. For other people, it's really not. Um, and I think as much as, as that is an important question, there are so many other questions that come up when you start and, and, and begin to run a business and then grow into your role as a founder or even just as a solopreneur, it doesn't always have to be this huge operation. Um, and my work really is to support founders while they're doing that as a coach to challenge them to give them a sounding board to give them a safe space to talk and sometimes just work out what's going on um, within themselves and well basically that's what's behind this so if you're liking what I'm saying if you're interested in booking a session or if you want to work with me of course, feel free to reach out, feel free to book an intro call, and I would love to speak with you. And if not, you can always like and share this podcast. I will be so happy if the message that business can be done differently and there are actually people who are doing it and who are thinking about solutions reaches as many people as possible because sometimes I find that... Um, it looks like nothing's changing and things are really messed up, especially in a year like I would say the <laughs> never ending year of, of COVID-19 in our lives. Um, so one of my main missions with this podcast is also to spread optimism. And if you want to spread optimism and knowledge and resources with other people, feel free to share this. Um, feel free to as I said, like, comment, and review, um, however you see fit, I'll be thrilled. Um, and I'm looking forward to having you back next week. I'm really excited about next week's episode too. Mm. <laughs> Can't even tell you. <laughs> All right. Have a lovely day, morning, evening, wherever you may be. And well, I'll speak to you soon, I guess. Let's talk soon. <laughs> Bye.